When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abu Al Samad. Welcome to episode 37. Uh, so we've got uh, a fun Honda centric episode <laughs> for everybody. Uh, I think you drove everything. It's the way things work out sometimes. Yeah. So, uh, Sam, in terms of what you've been driving this week, you had, uh, well, you had a couple of things. So let's tee that up and we'll talk about that first. Yeah, so last week uh, I was scheduled to have uh, the Acura MDX Sport Hybrid, which is uh, the newest variant of the MDX uh, that showed up. And you know, usually when we get these loans, it's it's usually for a week. Uh, but and I got this one last Monday. Uh, but as it turns out, um, I got a note from uh, my friendly little my friendly local uh, Honda PR rep on late on Thursday afternoon, saying, uh, "Hey Sam, we can get you into an NSX for the weekend if that's okay." And uh, no, not at all. Nope. I- <laughs> Don't want it. Nope. <laughs> Needless to say, uh, I, I said yes. Uh, so the next morning, we swapped the MDX for the NSX, and I drove that around for a couple of days. Uh, so uh, it was it was a good uh, a good week of uh, Honda hybrids. Or Acura. yeah, I mean they're, they're kind of like the same thing, right? Like the the MDX and the, they're both hybrids. They're both, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, I mean just, they both have Acura badges, right? Um, you know, they they have steering wheels, uh, four wheels on the <laughs> ground. You know, four four rubber wheels with aluminum, you know, alloy alloy uh, wheels. Uh, so, you know, what what more could you ask for? You know, and they have you know a, a V six engine and and three electric motors. Yeah, see, they're the exact same thing. Sure, absolutely. Well, actually, they're they're they're, they're actually more alike than you would think in some ways, because. Um, the the Acura Sport Hybrid system actually originated on the RLX, which I think uh, Acura has sold. Oh, I don't know, about three or four sixty up yeah. over the last uh, three or four years. Um, you know, it's, it's unfortunately it has it has not been uh, widely adopted. Um, that yeah, that car is rare enough that I still see them and go, "What the heck is that?" Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so you know when when it came out on on the RLX a couple of years ago, the Sport Hybrid uh, package, it um, what they did was they have a three liter version of the Honda V6 corporate V6 uh, paired with uh, a seven speed uh, DCT dual clutch transmission uh, in between the uh, clutch uh, or in between the uh, the transmission and the engine, you will find uh, an electric motor that generates uh, I believe it was. Uh, 54 horsepower something like that no, i can't remember again uh let's see the front motor 
uh, 40, 47 horsepower, um, and then a pair of uh, 36 horsepower motors at the rear axle uh, in the RLX version, uh, one driving each of the rear wheels. So since they can be operated independently, they can do some torque vectoring with that and do the, the Acura super handling all-wheel drive system uh, via the, uh, the electric motors at the rear. So um, what they did when they did the NSX, uh, you know, back in 2012 or so, 2011, 20, 2012, uh, when we first saw the, yeah, it was 2011, when we first saw the, uh, the concept of what would become the production NSX, uh, at that time, uh, they showed it with a normally aspirated V6 in the back and just the two electric motors driving the front wheels. Over the course of the next four years, it evolved somewhat. They added in uh, a third electric motor and a pair of turbochargers to the V6 engine to get what we have today for the production version of that. And it turns out it's the same three electric motors that are on the RLX and also on the MDX. I mean, why mess with a good thing, right? Exactly. You know, so, you know, in the case of the NSX, they swapped directions. So the two motors are at the front axle driving the front wheels, the 47 horsepower motors at the rear. Uh, and then at the, um, and in, uh, in, in the back, uh, along with that, you have a 500 horsepower twin turbocharged V6 engine. Uh, so all together, you know, combined uh, works out to about 573 horsepower. Yeah, I mean, that's it's just what you need for a practical weekend of shopping at the big box store and uh, groceries, right? Uh, yeah, as long as you bring somebody else along with an MDX, you, right. you put all the stuff in and drive it home. So, I mean, the big question, though, is like, does the NSX live up to said that's the always sort of been the criticism or at least my criticism was like the original was this this attainable supercar that put all of the other. Italian brands, right? It put Ferrari and Lamborghini on notice like, hey, guys, this is how it's going to be. We're going to make a car like yours that's as reliable and well-made as our Accord. And you're going to either have to adapt or die. Uh, and, you know, seeing the new NSX, I'm kind of like, eh, leaves me cold. And I don't I don't know if maybe that's just because of, of where I'm at. I'm looking at the old car with, with nostalgia. Because um, I heard that some of the knock on that car when it was new was that it was kind of clinical, kind of, overly perfect not passionate enough uh, you know so, so does the the new nsx live up to the legend well uh, having had the opportunity to uh, actually have driven the original back in the day um it it um it certainly i, I wouldn't i would say it was some of the criticism of it being somewhat clinical um, or, you know, maybe less passionate, some of it was slightly deserved, but it did drive really well. And, you know, that engine, you know, for its time, the three liter V6 they had in there for its time was a fantastic engine. Uh, you know, I mean, it was a it was an incredibly fast car for its day in the early 90s. Um, and, you know, performed as well as anything, you know, from Italy or anywhere else. And and as you said, it, it did force the rest of the 
uh, exotic car industry, as it was known in those days, to adapt. And, and they did. And, you know, subsequently, you know, Ferraris and Lamborghinis and and everything else, you know, generally became much better as cars. They became much more reliable. Um, the ergonomics were not as quirky as they used to be. Um, and, you know, they became much more modern vehicles. That said, um, you know, it could also be argued that, uh, you know, with progress, you know, you may lose uh, you lose some of the ability to actually take advantage of the the the, the character of those cars uh, that you had in those days. You know, they, I think to some degree, you know, all of these cars, you know, they're they're phenomenally fast today, uh, but you you've lost some of because they're so fast you really can't take advantage of what they're capable of on the street anymore um, right without without getting into a lot of trouble <clears throat> so um you know to a degree the same thing applies to the new nsx you know the 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 new nsx is a car that you know aside from the the absence of cargo space you actually can live with on a daily basis i mean it's it's a it's a daily driver supercar um, you know, it's phenomenally fast, you know, zero to 60 in just over three seconds. Um, you know, I did have a chance to briefly drive one back in June, uh, which I think we talked about a little bit, uh, you know, where, you know, Honda did a, an event at Milan Dragway near, not near, far, near here um, and uh, to demonstrate the launch control system. And I ran something like an 11, 11.3 second quarter mile at 122 miles an hour. That's yeah. I mean, the and the MDX should be about as quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like I said, you know, the MDX is the one you 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 have somebody drive that, you know, the, meet you right. wherever you're going to do your big box shopping and, and you load all your stuff in there and then you drive, you know, take a, a long, you know, uh, uh, scenic drive home, you know, in the NSX while they go back and deliver the stuff to your house. Yeah. So actually it, a little side note, but um, I spent years. I'm st uh, still there on the the Swedish bricks list serve and we had a guy on there who was into the turbo volvos back in the day and he worked at honeywell which makes turbochargers <laughs> and uh they make very good ones too yeah they make excellent turbochargers and so the engineers there you know they're they're into racing and so they they had a little club of drag racers and he came up with this this thing called the the uh, he called it like the five dollar dyno or the ten dollar dyno basically like it's a correction factor gleaned over experience and, and a, it's a set of like an equation you plug in your numbers here and we can essentially tell from your your quarter mile run what kind of horsepower your engine is making and over years of refining it uh it was pretty accurate one of the things he said was like really fast cars like you know like that nsx could tow the mdx down the quarter mile and still be faster. <laughs> <laughs> that would not surprise me at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this, you know, this, this is a, you know, it, it, the NSX is a fantastic car in virtually every respect. Um, you know, the funny thing is though, you know, like, like many very expensive cars, uh, especially very low volume cars like this one, you know, I mean, so far and a little bit over a year on sale here in the U S um, they've sold just under 600 of them, uh, in the U S but the plant only has a capacity of about a thousand cars a year. And that's for, for global markets. You know, I think about seven, 700 or so are allocated for the U S market with the rest being exported to, to Europe and Japan and elsewhere. So, uh, 
that you know, given, given that it's a low volume car, you know, it's inherent that, um, you know, it's going to borrow some pieces from, uh, from other, um, more mainstream vehicles, you know, and, you know, like I mentioned, you know, the electric motors, um, are the same ones that you'll find in the RLX and, and in the MDX, although obviously repurposed to the opposite axles. Um, the, uh, but one of the other things that that's more obvious when you get in, if if you've been in any relatively recent Honda Civic or a Fit or or uh, uh, other other recent Hondas, you'll immediately notice the audio head unit, which comes, which is exactly the same one that's in my wife's uh, Civic hatchback, uh, in, including the uh, the touch, the capacitive touch uh, volume controls along the left hand side of the screen. Uh, but you know that's that's fine. It's it's not bad. Uh, you've got it's got um, uh, uh, volume a redundant volume control uh, knob on the um, on the steering wheel spoke, uh, so you can just as easily do it do it with that. Um, unlike the original NSX, you know there's no manual transmission available, so it's got the same. Um, mishmash push button uh switch gear uh shift mechanism that you find on the pilot and the ridge line and also on the mdx uh, where you've got uh, a circular push button for uh, drive and uh, manual mode um, uh, something that looks more or less like uh, like a power window switch for reverse um another push button for uh park uh you know it's kind of, it's kind of an oddball design uh but again you know once you get the car started and you, and you're moving you never touch that again anyway because you've got the aluminum paddles on the back of the steering wheel uh and you just tap those and the you know shifts happen instantaneously with the nine speed dct that's in this thing well yeah and and like that kind of shifter that wound up in those other cars reminded me of sort of the things that you'd see in exotics. You know, you, it, I was looking at it in other stuff and going, okay, so they're trying to bring a little bit of like Lamborghini to the everyday sedan experience. Uh, okay, fine. Um, and so it makes sense that it's actually in something that can run with those other cars. Yeah. And, you know, and, and this thing can seriously run. I mean, it's it is way fast but um you know it's it's also um you know it's also it's just really easy to drive you know just as a daily driver even though it's it's very low it's it's still relatively easy to get in and out of um the seats are really comfortable um you know the the ride quality is surprisingly good uh it's it's got um uh, MR dampers, the magneto rheological dampers. So it's, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the hydraulic fluid within the dampers, uh, has, a has a suspension of, uh, iron, iron particles in there and you pass an electric current through it and it changes the viscosity of the fluid, uh, which, you know, gives you instant, you know, continuous variability of the dampers. So, you know, driving around at low speed, you know, around the neighborhood, going over the speed bumps, not a problem at all. You know, as soon as you pick up speed and, and start bending it into corners, uh, it, you know, it just hustles. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic car. Granted, you know, it's because of its performance, you can't get anywhere near its limits, you know, on public roads without attracting a lot of uh, unwanted attention. And so, you know, I, I've as much as I love driving cars like this, uh, you know, I, I increasingly as as over the last few years, 
you know, it's like I got to wonder why why are we still bothering? I mean, who, who would who would want to own a car like this unless you actually have but well, I guess if you if you have the the money to buy a car like this, you, you can afford to take it to track days and and really exercise it properly. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I hope that you would do that if you own this kind of car, because otherwise, why bother? Yeah, well, I, th- I think that's the problem. I, that's the problem I have is I think most of the people that do own cars like this never do drive them the way they're meant to be driven. It's sort of like the Corvette thing, right? And I was actually, um, I was telling my nine year old about this because he's you know, he's playing Need for Speed, so he's into all the like hot rod cars. You know, like he's, he wants to see a, sh- uh, a Mustang Boss three or two really badly. I'm like, no, that's just a GT. A Boss three or two is kind of a rare car. <laughs> You're not going to see it on the street, um, but. You know, he's like, well, he's making a list of things he wants to drive. And one of them was like a Corvette. I was like, you're going to be able to find a Corvette, like, no problem. <laughs> like, yeah. it takes a while to buy them. Guys who were in their 40s and 50s buy their first Corvette. They drive it really slow and they keep it in the garage and it never sees rain. <laughs> like, you know, and that's too bad because they're so much fun when you drive them with a little bit of anger. But Oh, yeah. And and so, you know, so is the NSX. I mean, it. it uh you know, when you really push it, it's it's great. It, you know, it's really a wonderful car to drive, and you know, it it remains you know just as it was twenty seven odd years ago. Um, you know, it's an everyday supercar. Uh, you know, and you know the thing is, all of them are pretty much are everyday supercars now. But um, you know, Honda just really you know they they did a fantastic job on this. Yeah, well, and I think that Honda definitely should just get the credit for kicking everybody into gear and saying you got to make these things you you know like maybe you remove a little passion when you make them so so much more reliable than they had been but on the other hand you make them so that you can enjoy them every day it's not an engine out service for every little thing every you know two thousand miles and that with the combination of volkswagen buying lamborghini like from the 27 years ago it was a much different scene uh than it is now so I, I mean, the the technology that's showcased in this car, I think, is a, is a nice sort of continuum where, you know, it still continues to it shares a name and it continues to push the envelope. Um, the handoffs and everything is good between electric and you know, conventional yeah, it's, engine. It's it's completely seamless. I mean, you you never feel the engine. Sh- the only thing that the only clue that you have that the engine is shutting off, you know, and, and switching to electric is just the the sound goes away. And the sound, you know, this engine does make a fantastic sound. You mean they're not piping it in through the stereo? <laughs> no, no, it's all it's all coming from outside, or at least it's it seems that way. And you know, it's it it's got a really nice growl to it. Um, you know, so it's it's very enjoyable to drive. But, you know, when it goes into electric mode and, you know, it the car has, um, you know, ver- selectable drive modes. So you've got, you know, normal mode, sport, uh, uh, track, and there's a quiet mode, which uh, basically when, when you f- when you switch it to quiet mode, you know, when you're going through your neighborhood, if you don't want to piss off your neighbors, um, you know, you if you've got uh, some juice in the battery, you can put it in quiet mode and, and basically it just forces it into EV mode. Or, you know, if you're coming in late, um, you can do that so that you don't uh, get everybody upset. Wow. Um, 
But, uh, you know, other, other than that, you know, you, you, you'll never really feel it. Um, you never feel the engine, you know, engaging or disengaging. It's just, it's just all seamless and it just, you step on it and it just goes, uh, it's, it's got, you know, with all wheel drive, you know, it's got phenomenal traction, uh, you know, and that's a big part of why, you know, it does the quarter mile so well, just like a, a Nissan GTR, you know, it'll, it'll just go. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and being able to launch is is key, and and especially with electric motors too. Like that, and we've seen that from the all the pointless zero to sixty tests of, of Teslas and stuff. Is yeah, an electric car will just completely, you know, dominate a quarter mile. But you know, the thing is, you know, you just um, you, you're never really going to use that, you know, in normal driving. So it's uh, it just seems it, it almost it, it's I feel like a heretic saying this, but it seems wasteful. Yeah. But it feels so good when you do it. I mean, sometimes a little bit of waste is is a is a good thing. It's, yeah, absolutely. You know, like you gotta you gotta blow off some steam, you know. Um, Move some electrons. I don't. I don't know what the, <laughs> the well, like you know, modern. And this this thing is actually, you know, I I drove it fairly briskly much of the weekend. Uh, you know, took my wife out to out to dinner in in, uh, in Chelsea, and we took a nice uh, leisurely scenic drive back. Um, or, well, maybe not so leisurely, but a scenic drive back. Um, and this thing, by the time I was I turned it back in, uh, it had averaged you know about twenty miles per gallon, which is pretty impressive for a car with this kind of performance. Well, I mean, of course it had. <laughs> like that's that's the whole point of being. I guess it's not the whole point of being a hybrid. That's and that's the thing that I think they're going to have to get over is like yes, it's a hybrid, but understand that the hybrids, while they're great for efficiency, they're also great if you're making a high performance car. Right. And, you know, I mean, this is this is obviously it gets very good fuel economy for a car of this performance level. But the the hybrid system really is used to enhance the performance, you know, to get you great off the line performance um, and just, you know, generally fill in the gaps. You know, I mean, there's no you know, you never feel any turbo lag out of this thing. You know, obviously with a 500 horsepower V6, uh, you know, it's using fairly good sized turbos, you know, to push that much air through it, but you never feel any lag when you step in it, uh, because you've got those electric motors that come in and, and basically fill in the torque curve. So you get an absolutely seamless torque curve all, everywhere. Yeah. And so in the supercar continuum, I suppose, uh, the most direct analog I can make for the NSX is the Ford GT, and maybe that's not quite right. Maybe you can correct me on that. But yeah, you know the the GT, um, you know, not, not having driven it, but based on you know what I, you know what I know of the program and and what drove that program, the GT really is more of a race car for the street. I mean, Ford built that car to win at Le Mans in the GT class in the GT in the GTA GT Pro class. That's that's why that car exists. Um, and, you know, and then also, you know, the, the usual about, oh, you know, it's a good way for us to try out some different materials, work with carbon fiber and gorilla glass and things like that. Well, you know, fine, whatever. But it was built, <laughs> it, it was built to win races and it does that. And, you know, the car that you or that a handful of people can buy, you know, is really, you know, it was designed as a race car first and then made into a, a street legal car right it's a homologation special exactly um the nsx on the other hand is kind of the other way around they they built it as a showcase of what honda could do 
and they created a race car from it, you know, for the GTD class, which is one step down from where the, the Ford GT runs. And it has also won in that class. And it's it's a very good car. But in, it, the the rules in that class don't, in, in GT uh, don't allow for hybrids. So they actually run it with just the twin turbo V6 as a rear wheel drive car in uh, in GT3. And so um, but it's you know, it was designed as a road car first. And in terms of its everyday livability the nsx is a car you can live with on a day-to-day basis if you've ever looked at the cabin of a ford gt it's very small um you know it's it's like a race car it's min, you know they minimize the frontal area and it's probably not a car you want to drive on a daily basis well oh maybe maybe it is though maybe, maybe see it depends well, on your personality it depends on your personality <laughs> and, and you know where you know where you live you know if you happen to live adjacent to a racetrack or yeah. you know um you know some cal- ma- canyon you know uh in the hills above malibu then yeah maybe you do want to drive it on a daily basis um but uh you know it's it's definitely much more raw and it's also much more expensive. I mean, a GT costs about two and a half times as much as, as the yeah, uh, that's... Uh, NSX. Uh, you know, the one I, the NSX I drove, the NSX starts at about 157,000. The one I drove was a loaded one with the carbon fiber package and the, the carbon ceramic brakes and everything. And it came to about 205,000. Yeah. See, once, once cars sort of eclipse that hundred thousand dollar, price barrier i i just lose all sense of like what the, I, I just know they're expensive and i know the gt yeah. and the nsx are both expensive and i, I that, comparing them on price like i whatever yeah i mean it, i think you know some people will probably cross shop them uh perhaps some customers that that applied to get a gt because gt supplies are so limited so much more limited um you know some customers that couldn't get a four gt may opt for an nsx or you know uh you know a lamborghini or an audi r8 or a ferrari um but you know i think they're they're very i think they're very different the the two the nsx and the gt are very different cars in terms of their personality <clears throat> and you know i mean their performance levels are similar the gt is a little bit faster but they I th- overall their personalities are very different yeah yeah and that's that's good we need more different personalities in Absolutely. the auto world, uh, which is a great which. right. It's a great segue to talk about what I've been driving, which is not super. Uh, not Does it have personality though? <laughs> um, I mean, I I guess yeah. <laughs> it's 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 kind of like an underdog. I mean, it's, so it's a, it's a Mitsubishi Outlander GT, uh, and I say underdog because like. You know, it's it's like the, the, the Mitsubishi is the Rodney Dangerfield of our sort of automotive brand lineup right now in the U.S. It just they're a punchline and I've, they're not necessarily bad cars. Uh, they're just not necessarily good cars. Right. They're just not as good as, as most of the competition, you know, like and the Outlander GT is in this red hot category of sort of midsize crossovers, although I'm not actually sure whether it's I would say it's sort of like a compact, like a more like a Nissan Rogue. Uh that I don't feel is quite a midsize. Um but it's it's a little it's got a third row, sort of like the Rogue, but I think it's its third row is a little bit larger than the Rogue's. Um, but it's just this weird sort of particular 
niche a vehicle that uh, doesn't exist anywhere else. Um, you know, the uh, the Outlander GT is its own own kind of thing. Um, well, I mean, look, looking at it, you know, looking at its proportions and everything, it I would I would say if they're probably the closest analog to this thing is the Subaru Outback. Yeah, I mean, I I guess the outlook it looks it looks more wagon like than you, SUV like. Yeah, and both are ungainly, ungainly. <laughs> Can't even get the word out. Um, and you know, the Outlander GT is the only trim level of of this outlook. This is the best of the it's a, the big Outlanders because there's two actual Outlanders: there's the Outlander Sport, which is the smaller one, and then there's the Outlander GT that it's it's this big one. Uh, this is the best of the breed. It's got the the V6 with the six speed auto, and the th- three rows of seats and all the all the bells and whistles are sort of included in this version, except for it's a thirty three thousand dollar car that's the top of its line with no factory nav. Makes no sense. <laughs> um, but this year you get Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. So so there's that. Oh, well, that's a start. Yeah. Um, but it's really it's not as good as the the, the Outback at all. Um, it, it like the Outback feels like it's it's been evolved with the times. The Outlander and, and this isn't even on the GS platform anymore. It's it's been moved past that. It's on a newer platform from what I understand. Uh, what does it feel like a car that was designed, you know, in the nineties? Uh, and they've, you know, some of the pieces were designed in the nineties, like the V six <laughs> that it's got. Is it's got the the? Is it still a three liter? It is it's the three liter. Same three liter that they used all those years ago. Yeah, requires premium fuel and is very throaty and not all that powerful. I mean, it's not. It's two hundred and twenty five horsepower, so it's not terrible for three liters, but it's not. Not great, um, but it's nice that it has a six-speed auto. And you know, I, I think my biggest complaint about that is just that it it requires premium fuel to do something that you know other V6s don't. Um, well, especially considering that it's not even turbocharged. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be better turbocharged. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they could call it like the Outlander Evo. Uh, and just, you know, speaking of the Evo, it kind it sort of picks up an evolution of the Evo's. Uh, all-wheel drive system it has s-a-w-c which is like super all-wheel control or something it's got it's got couplings where it can move torque uh front to back and, and vector side to side um it's it's doesn't so do what are you complaining about no nah, i mean it's, like it's sex. well right i mean it's exactly it's side it's, to side right <laughs> it's perfectly it's a supercar um you know so part of it is like you come into it with this perception and you're like Ugh, you know like mitsubishi they they really need if they're serious about being in this market the things that they need to upgrade are you know styling the exterior styling's not so bad they're they're pretty good at that uh but interior materials and and structural rigidity and and you know those those two are just killers especially in this segment that's getting so so good uh you're getting surrounded by you know vehicles that are really solid and really well-tuned and handle great and you know have all kinds of features and are packed with value because that's where the buyers are so it's very competitive and they're they're not exactly competitive they do offer something a little bit more uh sort of a little bit more unique i guess because they have three rows and they've got all-wheel drive and reasonably priced and you know some of the features like the touchscreen system that's new this year 
even though it doesn't have nav, like I said. But if you're using CarPlay or uh, Android Auto, you do have nav because it's on your device. So that's actually not that big a deal, I suppose. Um, so overall, like they they're they're just sort of one of those cars that, like, on paper they start to stack up, and then you drive it, and you're like, okay, it's it's soft, it's relatively quiet, but it's also really numb steering wise. It's mushy with the suspension tuning. It's just not. You know, it it doesn't hold up to even something like, uh, you know, a Ford Escape. It feels like a damn sports car. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the specs right now, and the the three liter V6 in this thing puts out a, a mere 224 horsepower and 215 foot pounds of torque, which you know by 2017 standards is pretty bad um especially but is it though like that's the thing like setting my expectations i feel like we've gotten so used to really really torquey three liter engines with turbos yeah. <laughs> you know and, and this it's not it's naturally aspirated so it's i'm trying to think of another naturally aspirated three liter v6 the closest i can come is is the uh 3.2 liter pentastar off the top of my head and i know that engine has at least 250 pound feet of torque yeah i mean mo- most of the v6s you know that are you know naturally aspirated v6s that are out there especially in the utility sector you know are 3.5 liters or so and you know they're in the 290 to 300 horsepower range uh, you know yeah, but that's a little unfair. Like you know, because they're, they're a half liter up. I mean, you'd expect them to be. Like, like, the Gulf is wide, but you'd still. I I would expect a, a half liter more displacement to to naturally equal a, a more output. Right. Well, I mean, and, but the thing is, most of the competitors are you know also available with you know a two liter turbo uh, four cylinder you know that puts out significantly more power and torque than this thing. Um, you know, and, you know, in a 3,600 pound vehicle, you know, that's, uh, well, you know, if we go back 15 years, you know, 224 <laughs> horsepower in a 3,600 pound SUV would actually be pretty good. Right. And it, it, like, it's not, it's not just like, 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 like you said, you know, every, you know, it feels like something that was designed in the 1990s and looking at the specs, it still looks like something that was yeah, I mean, in the 90s. You know, like, and well, that's the thing, like it's. It's solidly mediocre, I guess is the best I can say. Like it, it's soft, you know, in terms of ride. It's relatively quiet until you make the V6 sort of do its thing. And then it's, it's just, it's really throaty and it's, it's, you, you hear the engine. Um, and that, like, that's fine. And no bite. Yeah. I mean, it, it moves along. Like we've gotten also programmed to expect this like super fast response from everything. I mean, it'll run to 60, I think. I think Car and Driver ran it in about 7.6 seconds, I think. Uh, actually, that's not bad. That's, not, that's, that's right. That, I mean, you know, anything under eight seconds is actually, you know, perfectly it's, acceptable. It's fine. Like, that's, <laughs> again, solidly mediocre. It's fine. Yeah. Um, it's It doesn't feel sluggish. And the six-speed auto is so much better than having a CVT. And it's still, like, you know... It's it's not the most refined powertrain, but it's not not, not the worst. Um, and it's like I don't mind the sound of the engine; it's okay. It's just it's it's a, it's a little throaty in in the cabin for you know for what you're getting. And it doesn't it doesn't sound necessarily refined. It's a bit raspy. Hmm. Um, but but whatever on that. Um, you know the biggest the biggest area where it falls down is just you know there's there's this it, the steering's real numb. It body rolls there. It's just 
it's not real rewarding to drive and it doesn't have to be, I suppose, but against stuff like the Mazda CX nine, which is right in this price range, um, or maybe a little bit more expensive, depending on how you configure it, it's going to lose. Actually a loaded CX nine can get quite a bit more expensive. Oh yeah, absolutely. A CX nine with all the, with all the toys is going to be very pricey compared to this, but it's also going to feel like it's worth it where this doesn't like, the interior the the interior surfaces and materials are are again they're 90s grade they're just not 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 competitive um you know the numbers it puts the numbers the outlander gt puts up are are fine like uh, uh, even just on paper you know again if you're buying a car based on a spreadsheet it'll be a contender um especially with the the very attractive lease and financing offers that yeah. have kept so, you know Mitsubishi so around. If you go out and test drive one of these and don't look at anything else and look at it just completely in isolation, it's a perfectly halfway decent vehicle. Well, like this, so this is the thing. Like it's hard to completely say. Like it's it's you can't really buy a piece of crap in the U.S. market anymore. And this is it's not a piece of crap. It's it's you know it's just not as good as everything else that I would sort of compare it to but it's 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 fine and it has all-wheel drive at a price and and three rows and a crossover at a price that you know is is pretty compelling um and it's it's comfortable enough you know the seats are comfy and and it has you know that cargo flexibility if you're using all three rows it's not the best because you've only got about 10 cubic feet of space that's really tiny like you should look for something a little bigger um try to make i think is the equinox that got longer or larger, or was it the? Uh, no, Equinox stayed about the same size, but it? Uh, but it, it's only a two row. I thought there was a three row version of that. No, if uh, if you want three row in a Chevy utility, you got to go up to the Traverse. Uh, no, that's expensive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and it's also significantly larger. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, so the, probably the closest, you know, from GM would actually be the uh, the Acadia. Uh, maybe it's the Acadia. It's more of the mid size. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it, it's it's definitely got more than ten cubic feet behind the third row. I think. Yeah, it's probably probably also costs more cubic dollars because um, it's a GMC. The transaction prices for GMCs tend to be higher. Um, but either way, like the closest sort of analog I can come up with, other than the Rogue, would be the uh, the Dodge Journey, and that's yeah, uh, you know, that's that, and it's it it's. I think derived from the same platform. I, well, not anymore. I don't. I don't. I, I, I'm uh, okay. So, yeah, the the journey would be derived from the 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 older Outlander platform. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, though, the journey is like, and this this actually we had this Twitter chat uh, last week, like uh, me and like uh, Ed Ed Niedermeyer um, and a couple of others, like why does the why does the journey actually exist anymore and and a solidly mediocre vehicle it's good for families it's got three rows it's thoughtfully laid out it's decent to drive it's cheap to buy i, I mean it's actually i mean as you said it's you know by by modern by today's standards you know it's it's somewhat mediocre but it actually has gotten a lot better than it was when it first came out oh yeah um, the new interior is just good last year it's, it's actually you know halfway decent yeah i mean you look at it and you go okay this thing is built really it's not built as well. When we were shopping for the Jeep, we, you know, I really wanted a Durango because of the three rows. And there's a wide gulf in build quality between the Journey and the Durango. <laughs> like, yeah. um, 
the journey, you can look at it and go, okay, just sort of looking at how it's constructed, like it's, it's built, built kind of cheaply. Um, you know, that's, that's never going to change. The interior of the, the, um, the journey is much better than the interior of the, the Outlander GT. Uh, Chrysler, one of the things they did once they got the infusion of cash from FCA was they did a bang up job on the interior of just about everything. And they, that still holds up. It's it's nice inside. This is not as nice. Um, and, you know, I you spend all your time in the interior. So I know I harp on it like that and sort of the, the user interface. But they're important because that's that's like that's what you do every day in the car. So um, I think we've expended quite a bit of time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> on the Outlander GT, uh, for me to say like, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> um, they, I did get a um, an escape afterward, uh, and like, you want to talk about something that goes down the road solid? Oh yeah, the, the escape feels like it's got a lot more structural rigidity. I'll say, <laughs> um, and it, it should. It's it's a you know smaller, shorter car. So again, uh, it's not apples to apples, but. Anyway, let's talk about something else. Okay. Uh, the Hyundai Elantra GT Sport, uh, you, you actually had a chance to drive it. And uh, I just came off a week with the, the Elantra Sport, the sedan version of this. So I'm really interested to hear sort of what, what you, you thought about it. My take on the Elantra Sport was like, it's no GTI. How does the GT Sport stack up? It's no GTI. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, it's it's good. It, it it's a really good car. But no, it's it's not quite competitive with the GTI. Um, but uh, uh, you know, compared to the Elantra sedan, uh, you know, the the GT Sport is you know yet another incremental step forward for Hyundai. Uh, you know, the the styling is uh, is different, and it incorporates the the latest iteration of. Uh, Hyundai's fluidic sculpture design language. And uh, um, last week when we, uh, Hyundai did a local drive program here with the, the Elantra GT and the updated 2018 Sonata, <clears throat> which uh, uh, gets a refresh for this year. Uh, both of them have this new, uh, this updated grill design, which uh, I found it, it was interesting. The description that uh, we heard from Hyundai, um, it, it's, uh, it's an evolution of this hexagonal grill that they've been using for the last several years. And when you look at it, the, um, the bottom half of it, uh, the, the, the lines are kind of curved inwards and they described it as being inspired by the look, you know, if you take uh, molten metal, you know, and pour it out, you know, like molten steel, you're, um, making steel. And when you pour it out of the, the cupola, the, the way that molten metal pores out of there this that's kind of the look that inspires the shape of the grill and it actually does replicate that shape pretty well really because i was gonna call bs on that i, was, I mean well i no, i mean it, i think you know just from a from a purely visual standpoint okay you know, it, it does it does replicate that shape all right all right i mean because I, I i spend some time with designers and creative people and that just sounds like bullshit <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. So the the Elantra GT is the latest uh, iteration of the five door hatchback on the Elantra platform, and uh, for for this one, uh, it has the a multi link rear suspension and uh, a bunch of other updates compared to uh, the sedans. Um, 
it has a also has a, a new interior design, which I think uh, will pro- will be translating into other Hyundai's as they get updated over the next couple of years as well. So probably the next iteration of the sedan uh, will get a, a an interior that looks more like this one. Um, really nice materials. They've gone to you know the same kind of approach that a lot of other car companies have been doing recently with moving the touchscreen up and basically standing it up on top of the dash uh, you know so kind of tap kind of like a tablet sitting on top of the dashboard uh, you know which gets it closer to your uh, line of sight you know so you're not looking down so much when you glance over at the screen uh, which is a good thing uh, you know it's got uh, proper you know rotary volume and tuning knobs and all that sort of thing but the the big thing is the the way it drives um the the one that I drove uh, was six speed manual. Uh, they also have it with a uh, six speed DCT. All the the GT Sport, uh, all of them have the one point six liter turbo that you also find uh, in the uh, the Sport sedan, as well as in the um, uh, the Veloster turbo and the Kia Forte uh, SX and and some other models. Uh, which is a really nice engine, you know. Got plenty of power and torque. Very responsive engine. Um, the um, the six speed manual is slick shifting. Is very you know very little effort. Almost almost too little effort when you're shifting it. Um, and it's it's actually you know if you tap it, it's actually pretty easy to pop it into neutral when it's in gear. Um, if you if you give it a, a whack, you know if you're flailing your arms around at all. Um, but it you know other than that you know that part of it is really really good um the the driving dynamics overall are really good it it rides and handles pretty well um it's responsive the probably the biggest complaint um that i and my co-driver had about it was that the steering felt a bit light uh it was it seemed a little over boosted i Um, yeah and i i was so the shifter i think you're right my my complaint about the the Elantra Sport sort of mirrors that, like, yeah, it's it's very smooth in, in between gates, but there's there's little feel uh, from it. At least I didn't feel like there was much mechanical feel to it. Um, yeah, you don't you don't really feel the gates or anything. Yeah, so it's it's sometimes it can be a little hard to judge which which gear you're going into. Yeah, um, and the the steering I thought was kind of numb too. So like I felt the yeah. overall the controls are numb. Was did the one you drive? Um, was it uh, you had a man? Uh, so you had a manual. I did. Um, so uh, one of the one of the interesting things we found out is that the um, uh, in the automatic, if you get the automatic or actually the, the dual clutch transmission, uh, it's uh, you get some selectable drive modes. So you get comfort, uh, touring, and sport modes. Um, and in the sport mode, well, in the, the touring and sport modes, they actually tighten up the, the steering um, and uh, change the throttle response a little bit. Uh, and the G, the uh, manual, you don't get the selectable drive modes. Well, that's nonsense because I even looked for the, the flex steer button. <laughs> the worst, <laughs> worst named steering system ever, but still, I looked for it. Um, yeah, and, and I, I talked to uh, somebody else that actually drove the... Um, drove drove the automatic version and uh with the selectable drive modes you know in the sport mode in that one it actually is quite a bit tighter than uh the manual transmission version okay so maybe that's a difference is uh and and maybe that's smart for them too because that's where the bulk of the buyers are going to be but 
I mean, this is sort of an enthusiast car. Yeah, well, especially you know the manual transmission version. You would you would think you would go a little go with the more aggressive tuning on the manual transmission version, but uh, but they didn't. They they went with um, what feels like a softer uh, tuning setup, and you know aside from that, you know it actually drives really well. You know, and it, it was quite a bit of fun to drive. It's not quite as powerful as a GTI. Um, but it is very roomy. You've got, you know, a lot, lot, the back seat is roomy and you've got a bunch of cargo space in the back. Um, so it's, it's actually quite practical. And one of, one of the interesting things that they talked about, and they mentioned the same thing back in February at the Chicago auto show, when they revealed this car is, you know, from their studies, um, they found that, um, younger buyers <clears throat> that are buying hatchbacks, um, they found that those those customers actually have a more active lifestyle than most of the people that are actually buying um, crossovers and, and utilities, um, and they're buying the hatchback because they they want that flexibility. You know, they want that extra cargo space, but they also want a vehicle that's going to be more fun to drive. Uh, so, it, you know, that's that. I think that's part of why we're seeing a bit of a resurgence uh, in the last couple of years with uh, with hatchbacks. You know, you've got the new cruise hatchback. You've got the you know Honda bringing the Civic hatchback back. <laughs> um, you know, and, there, and there's and there's been some you know the uh, um, the Scion, uh, the former Scion IM, the, the IM, yeah. Um, yeah, which is now uh, part of the Corolla lineup, uh, you know, being added to the Toyota lineup. So uh, there's there's definitely some um, some resurgence of, of hatchbacks. And personally, I like hatchbacks. I mean, you know, as we've talked about before. I mean, who doesn't? That one. Yeah. It's it's uh, sort of it's this one of those things like the van, right? It's just super smart packaging. Very, yeah. you know, very useful. Right. So, you know, smart, smart people buy uh, compact hatchbacks. That's what right. You're saying, right. Just y- yes. And that's why I have a, a SUV <laughs> in my driveway. <laughs> uh, so it's, you know, it's a it's a really good car. Uh, it's not quite a GTI, but, you know, it's probably it's certainly the most refined Elantra, you know, probably the, the most the most refined um, Hyundai car uh, yet. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, they, they keep Hyundai keeps raising the bar, you know, for for what they're doing. You know, it's it's quiet, um, you know, gets decent performance. And, you know, aside from the steering, you know, there there really isn't a whole lot else to complain about. No, and e- even the complaints, I, I feel because uh, I think your experience mirrored mine with the um, the sedan version of basically the same car. Uh, it, it comes down to like how much of a driving enthusiast you are. Uh, and even I found that the harder you drove it, the more rewarding it became as well. So it was one of those cars that took a, a little bit of a feeling out period before I understood how to get the satisfaction I wanted out of it. Um, you know, I, I think a, a GTI is a little bit more accessible with giving you that sort of driving enjoyment. Um, whereas, you know, the, the Elantra Sport and the Elantra Sport GT, they need to be flogged a little harder before they start to give it back to you. And and so that's just learning the car. But also, it, this is like, these are subtle things. And it, it they're just, they're good cars. And, and like, even the materials that you talk about, they're every bit as good inside as um, a GTI, I feel. You know, even the hard yeah. plastics, they're like Absolutely. low luster. It's, they're just, I mean, Hyundai's killing it <laughs> in yeah. like every respect. Ergonomics are fantastic. They're really just really good cars. 
yeah, no, they're, they're fantastic. Um, so definitely, definitely worth taking a look at, you know, if you're looking for something that's, that's going to be fun to drive and, um, and still has some decent practicality to it. And, you know, that's, that's a good jumping off point for the next thing, uh, which, uh, the Honda Civic Type R, uh, which yeah. is a little harder edge, but still sort of in the same ballpark, right? It's a sort of a hot hatch kind of yeah. thing. And it's the, you know, the, the hottest Civic there is. Yeah, it's it's the hottest Civic that's ever been sold in North America. Um, you know, they've had uh, Civic Type R's in in Europe and Japan for some time now. Um, in fact, this is this is the first time that uh, there's ever been a Honda badged Type R sold in North America. The last the last time they did a Type R here uh, was back in the mid '90s with the uh, Acura Integra. Um, I believe that's the the Teg Type R, right? It's the the slang that the kids use. All right, I'm stop is, is, is well i wouldn't know since i'm not a kid yeah, me, yeah, i'm just not familiar with such slang yeah. um but uh <laughs> yeah the the civic type r um i'm gonna come right out and say it this is the best you know hot sport hatchback you can buy today really okay so what what makes it that way first of all i guess what what separates it from the the civic uh and then what makes it the best well, uh, for what separates it from uh, run-of-the-mill Civics, uh, let's let's run an interview that I did uh, with Rob Keogh, who is the uh, head of product planning for uh, for the Civic lineup uh, here in North America, and uh, he will explain all of that good stuff. All right, we'll get it from the horse's mouth. Here with Rob Keogh, the uh, Civic product planning manager, and uh, we're here at the the media drive for the, type, the Civic Type R. And first of all, um, Rob, tell us. What uh, what's different? I mean, this is the first time you guys have done a Type R for North America, or even outside of first Honda branded Type R for right. North America. Yes. Yeah, um, and you know the Civic Type R has generated quite a reputation over its last couple of generations. What is first of all? What's different between this Type R and the the regular Civics that the you know the rest of the Civic lineup that's available here in North America? Okay, so I. This Civic Type R is based on the hatchback version of the global Civic platform. So the basic platform is is the same, but there's a few a lot of things that are that are different in terms of the hardware that goes goes into the car. So the, we start with a basic body shell of of the five door Civic uh, platform, but the Type R gets structural adhesives in all the all the uh, welding joints uh, of. In, when it goes in the body shop in the factory to help uh, improve the overall stiffness of, of the body structure. So we basically added stiffness uh, into the body shell without having to add uh, additional weight. So um, so the, the whole body shell is actually stiffer for the, ty- for the Type R than a standard five door. Uh, then uh, the Type R hardware goes in. Uh, the powertrain is uh, unique. This is, the chassis is substantially beefed up. Um, the the uh, the body kit aero package is unique to Type R as well. So if we start off with a with a powertrain, we've got a. Uh, Two-liter turbocharged uh, engine. It's 306 horsepower uh, in uh, in U.S. Uh, trim, rated eight, rated on the uh, on the 91 pump octane that we sell sell in the states. Uh, it's got a six-speed manual transmission, standard, uh, and it although it is uh, you know front-wheel drive like like all all the Civic platform, the uh, suspension is. Uh, 
beefed up front and rear. It's got a special uh, front hub uh, assembly, fr uh, front knuckle design, uh, where the steering axis is basically pushed out towards the center line of the, of the wheels uh, to uh, to mitigate torque steer. So even though we have 300 horsepower uh, plus going to the front wheels, you won't get um, a lot of uh, torque steer when you when you put your your foot down. The uh, the wheel and tire package on Type R is a 20 inch um, wheels and uh, they're 245, 30 series uh, uh, tires all around, so square all around. Um, and they're summer, summer compound uh, only uh, from the factory, so standard summer compound, uh, very sticky tires. Uh, Brembo brake package uh, up front, four piston calipers, cross-drilled rotors, uh, largest, largest uh, you know, wheel and tire rotor package. Um, on the Civic platform, and actually, the uh, you know the you cannot put Type R wheels onto a regular Civic. You can't put regular Civic wheels onto a Type R because the, the, the hub's different. The, the hub is different. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually common with uh, uh, some of the Honda trucks, like uh, okay. like uh, um, similar to the Odyssey uh, bolt pattern. Then. Um, the uh, the aero kit on the car is is substantial. It's designed uh, specifically for the car, and and also the, the body kit. You'll notice like the hood is different, the fender is different. The overall um, the overall wheelbase is the same as as a common Civic platform, but the the car is, is uh, more than an inch wider. Um, you'll notice the front fenders bulge out basically to to cover the uh, uh, the wider wheel and tire package and the and the unique uh, suspension layout on the car. The, uh, as a lower body kit all the way around to improve our aerodynamics. Um, there's an aluminum hood on the car, which, uh, you know, adds some lightness to the car. Plus, we've got a hood scoop cut in there to get cooling air into the, uh, into the engine bay. We've got the huge rear wing spoiler on the car, which, which generates uh, downforce for the car. We actually get down, you know, at speed. We actually draw... Um, um, over 120 miles per hour, actually uh, generating you know 50, 60 pounds of downforce uh, in the car, and it's not it's not a huge number of downforce, but the the main point was that we've you know removed uh, lift as a as a factor from uh, from the handling of the of the car, um, and it is uh, and although it's got a body kit on there for downforce, you also want to minimize drag as much as possible. So actually the, the rear spoiler on this car has got a thinner profile than the previous generation car. Generates more downforce but less drag than the previous generation uh, Type R. So top speed is is up just a smidge over the, over the previous car too. Although this car has a, you know, has overall, it's a bigger car than the previous generation car and it's a, a lot roomier inside. Um, yeah, what else can I tell you? Um, the uh, going back, let's go back to the beginning for a moment. Sure. The structural <laughs> adhesives. I mean, yeah. obviously, um, you know, having a, a good solid structure is mm. crucial to have a, to create a great handling car. Mm -hmm. You know, because then you know you, you're controlling where those four corners are, and, and then gives you more flexibility in how you tune the the, the wheel motions uh, for both maximum grip and and still giving mm -hmm. you decent ride quality. Um, how much extra um, rigidity would you say you got from 
adding the structural adhesives? Yeah, so over the standard hatchback, it's it's plus three percent torsional. So the actual, it's you know the new platform is thirty eight percent stiffer torsional than the previous generation car. But between just by adding the structural adhesives between the standard uh, five door and the Type R, it's it's another three percent up in in torsional rigidity. Um, but you know when you drive the car, if you've driven even a standard uh-huh. Civic, you know the platform is pretty uh, pretty solid. It's low and wide. It's very planted, and we just enhance that with uh, with a Type R. And you know to be able to get you know an extra three percent just you know with the with adhesives, you know I mean that's you know, pretty much minimal you know nominal yeah. increase in, in yeah. mass. I mean yeah. virtually nothing yeah. compared to you know adding structural yeah, so braces. There, yeah, or something. so there's not any any additional uh, bracing structure in there that, that to add any uh, weight or mass to the cars. Yeah. Okay. So um, powertrain obviously for a performance car is important. Um, any any interesting tricks that you guys did with the the two liter that's that's in this car yeah, versus so this is what's going to be this in is the an updated version versus the previous car and and versus I mean similar architecture to what's coming up in the Accord but the the internals of the of the type type R significantly beefed up it's got uh, you know a lightweight uh, crank train it's got uh, uh, cooling cooling galleries for for the uh, for the pistons basically to keep uh, engine tape t- uh, cylinder temperatures down to improve uh, combustion efficiency so making more power uh, out of the car um, the you know it's obviously got a large larger turbo on this car than we'll see in in other two liter executions of the car large um, uh, intercooler as well. The uh, one of the cool things about the uh, it is a uh, it is what we call an IV tech motor, which means it's got dual variable uh, uh, cam timing, uh, both on intake uh, and exhaust cams, uh, and it does have VTEC. Although it's, this is really is a different execution of VTEC than than what's been done in the past. Uh, previous non-turbocharged uh, VTEC engines, very high revving, where you got dual cam lobes, uh, basically come on in the very high, high RPM range mm-hmm. to get you know. That extra power and, and and surge at the top. The VTEC in this car is actually used on the exhaust side only, and it opens up the the exhaust valves in the mid range to get dump more um, exhaust onto the turbo to help the turbo spool up faster. So it's basically like an anti lag uh, technology on this car. So you notice when you drive this car, it's really punchy in like the 3,000, 4,000 RPM. You know, it's um, it's a very um, Low inertia um, internals on the car, uh, you know, single mass flywheel, lightweight, and so it spins up really, and it's it's very responsive, um, you know, for for a turbocharged engine based with the use of those technologies. Yeah, I noticed, you know, driving it, it you know, it feels really tractable throughout its power band, but you know, especially in that mid range, mm-hmm. you know, which um, you know, obviously, you know, is great on a track car, but I think it's even more important for a car that you can use as a daily driver because you know, it makes it it makes for great drivability. When you know when you're stuck in traffic, because you know you're not always going to be out on the open road, and so having that 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 good drivability all the way through the range, you know, a high revving you know engine is fun, but not so much fun when yeah. you're stop. Yeah, and I traffic. mean it, this car is very drivable on the street. If you want to just drive it like a normal commuter car, you can, but it always adds that additional power. And although you know it doesn't rev like a VTEC motor of the past, it still revs at seven thousand plus mm-hmm. RPM. So that's that's a pretty good uh, you know RPM out of a turbo motor so yeah so no it's it's excellent um and then uh let's see um the uh the suspension um you know the having the um the 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 way you guys have set it up with separating the uh the 
steering axis from the from the vertical motions of mm -hmm. the wheels. That's really done a great job of essentially eliminating torque steer. I mean, you know, except you know, only at like the most extreme cases, and you feel just the slightest pull, and even then, it's you know, it's almost non-existent. Yeah. So um, that. Can you explain a little bit more about how exactly how that works? Yeah, so um, basically it's got a unique front knuckle design. It has a strut, strut suspension, and normally is the uh, the steering axis is in line with the strut axis on a strut front front suspension. In this case, we've taken the the front knuckle or or you know the part that the the wheel hub is on, and it's actually uh, extended out into into the. Uh, into the wheel um, wheel center itself, and also the uh, these wheels are you know they're they're eight or eight and a half eight and a half inches wide. They've got a sixty millimeter negative offset, which is a, like huge negative offset. So basically, removing this, uh, although the wheels are very wide and they stick out from the car, where um, they've got a big negative offset to push the uh, the center line in, and at the same time we've got the uh, the center line for the steering axis on the hub pushed out so that they line up with the with the center line and wheel with the with the steering axis and because you don't have you know your all your power is going through um, the wheel you know normally through the center of the contact patch if you've got your steering axis aligned with that you don't have any torque moment uh, around the steering axis so you know that's basically how virtually eliminated torque steer which you know everybody thinks oh you know 300 horsepower to front wheel drive car it's going to be you know too much too, too much to handle and actually once you get this thing rolling out out on the track um, you know you, you almost forget that it's a front-wheel drive car yeah i mean it, it's it's really nicely balanced you know uh, everywhere um you know at the at the extreme limits you know you'll get a bit of understeer but um you can trail the brakes a little bit into a corner and, and adjust the attitude mm -hmm. um so i mean you can it can really control it you know put it just about anywhere you want yeah. on the track you know and and um really get the most out of the car yeah, it's a lot on the track yeah um the does how much uh, how much extra weight does that type of uh, suspension layout add to the uh, compared to the the standard strut setup? Yeah, I mean, I don't have the the, the specific uh, detail on that on that part. Obviously, the uh, this the whole suspension on the Type R is beefed up. We've got uh, thicker anti roll bars, heavier duty springs. Spring rates are up front and rear, um, so there is more weight there. But uh, and we've got huge uh, you know ventilated rotors uh, and you know thirteen point eights up front. Um, I think they're thirteen point twos and in in the back they're um, you know we've got big plates. So there's um, you know, we had to beef up certain components to deliver the performance, but then to offset that, we we did things like you know the aluminum hood on the car. There's uh, um, some of the components in the rear suspension. The trailing arms are uh, are aluminum instead of um, instead of uh, you know iron castings in the uh, in the standard car. So anywhere that you know we could um, you know where we had to beef something up to handle the the power and the and the uh, you know dynamic inputs on the car. We tried to offset that with uh, lightweight technologies in, in other parts of the car. Okay. And then um, one other thing that uh, you did uh, for the Type R, uh, you've got the drive modes in there. You've got Comfort, Sport, and mm -hmm. Plus R. Um, and for that, you're uh, adjusting the, the steering setup, yeah, it adjusts, throttle, it, and, and the... Uh, 
adaptive dampers? Uh, yeah, so it, it uh, depending on whether in, in comfort, sport, or plus R mode, adjusts the minimum damping force in, in, the, uh, in the damper. So they're always continuously adaptive, but you're setting the baseline okay. of, of uh, you know, what the minimum minimum force is. So if you go in comfort mode, it's it's uh, very, you know, comfortable and more more soft. Plus R has, has the least amount of uh, upgiven, and it's really set up for the track. So it adjusts, uh, you know, damper settings. Um, it adjusts the... Uh, the amount of power assist that's that's put into the uh, electric power steering system so you know less power that's that's at you know assist that's added there you know the more feel feel you get for for the car so that's adjusted on on all three levels uh, adjust the throttle progression between uh, comfort and sport I think between sport and, and and type r throttle progression is the same and then it also adjusts the vsa uh thresholds between comfort and sport when you get to plus r that basically removes the traction control uh, from from the car there is still a safety net of vsa and uh -huh. extreme maneuvers but uh in a you know track day environment you'll almost never feel interference from from vsa if you're you know following a racing line right so um rob thank you very much uh it's been great getting a chance to drive the type r out here in its natural environment on the yeah. track and looking forward to spending some more time with it on the road yeah. thanks for your time oh, pleasure appreciate it so um, I got a chance to talk with Rob uh, out in uh, Seattle uh, this week at uh, Ridge, uh, the Ridge Motorsports Park, which is uh, west of um, Seattle, uh, south of the uh, Olympic Mountain Range. And uh, we had a chance to spend a couple of hours flogging Type R's uh, on the track there. And if you, if you happen to live in Washington State, and uh, you're looking for a place to do some club racing or, you know, do, do some track days, I would definitely go uh, take a look at the Ridge Motorsports Park. And we'll stick a link to it in the, the show notes for the show. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a, they have this great track there. Uh, it's about two and a half miles, uh, about 15 turns, lots of elevation change, variety of different kinds of corners. And it was a really good place to exercise the Type R. And, you know, the thing about the Type R, you know, all the Type R's, you know, they've, the intent has always been to make them race cars for the street. Um, you know, and that doesn't necessarily mean they're, you know, crazy hardcore. Because uh, um, this, this is also very much a car that's very easy to drive on the street. But um, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely the, the hardest edge uh, Civic you can get. Uh, and, you know, what's interesting is that they, they opted to stick with front-wheel drive for this one instead of going... Uh, four-wheel drive as uh, or all-wheel drive as as Ford did with the Focus RS and you know this is a lighter car than the Focus RS you know it's not quite as powerful as the as the Focus um, but from from the driving I did you know after a couple of hours on the track um, and then took it on a four and a half hour drive over nearly 200 miles uh, around Washington um, yeah, you know, it uh, there was a pretty good variety of roads uh, that we drove it over, and um, you know, I would say you know this is definitely a much better car than the Focus RS, even though it's it's not quite as powerful. It's it feels as quick on the track. Um, this thing was so much fun to drive because it's so well balanced, and you know, going in going into corners, um, you know. Only at the very limit do you get a little bit of understeer. You know, it's, it's 
at anything less than you know 98%, um, it's it stays really neutral. And then right at the very edge, you start to get some little bit of understeer. And if you trail the brakes a little bit into the corner, you can easily adjust the attitude of the car, bring the back around just a little bit, help it turn in. Um, it, it's it's really responsive to the things that you do as a driver. So you know it's uh, it's very forgiving, but um, it's it's got uh, it, it's. Uh, it does what you want it to do. So you can make it turn in or, or understeer depending on what you do with the, uh, with the pedals and it just works really well. So that, that, and that's the thing with the front wheel drive car is that a lot of people will just worry that it's going to be sort of doomed to understeer. And that's not true. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, no, not if you do it right. And, you know, like I said, the, the way they've got it all set up, uh, you know, it'll you can you can bring the back end around nicely, you know, with just a little bit of trailing break into the corners. And then, you know, as you hit the apex of a corner, just, you know, get on it and, and it pulls right out for you um, and right on you know down the straight or into the next corner. Um, it's it's a it's a lot of fun to drive. Um, it's got great seats in there that, you know, hold you in place, uh, nice steering wheel, you know, and one of the things about that they've always done about with the type R's is they always have, um, you know, drawing on their, uh, Honda's racing heritage, you know, going back to the, the 1960s with their formula one cars, the race cars have always had the red H badge on them. And this is something that for production cars, for road cars, they've only done on the type R's. So that's what sets, you know, visually sets the type R's apart. Oh, there's a few other, um, things that set this, this one apart from uh, regular civics as well, like that gigantic rear wing and the, uh, and the bulging, uh, fenders. But, uh, Overall, you know this this is a fabulous car, and it's also um, probably it's the most affordable in segment. You know, it's like thirty three or thirty four thousand um, dollars all in. Yeah, and it'll it will it'll run with something like a Golf R or a, oh yeah. Know, yeah yeah. So easily. I mean that's that's roughly a ten thousand dollar discount yeah. there. Um, did you try all the the different? It seems like there's a bunch of different modes too. Like there's yeah, comfort, sport, plus R, and there's also a launch mode too. Uh, yeah, so they've got um, they've got the different modes. They've got the the R plus and or plus R and the and the uh, sport mode and the comfort mode. And you can you can feel a little bit of difference in the. Um, both in the in the steering effort uh, and in the the ride quality, you know, it's got adaptive dampers on it um, on the on the Type R, and you know it tightens it up a little bit uh, in uh, sport and in plus R mode. But even in plus R mode, um, you know, with the it, it doesn't it doesn't um, it, do, it it never feels harsh on the road. So you know. I would say that the, the the default mode should probably just be sport. You know, that's probably the way I would drive it around on a daily basis. But even in, in plus R mode, uh, even on some particularly rough roads that uh, we encountered along part of the route, it did just fine. You know, um, it was not, you know, it, it, did, it didn't punish you. And um, I didn't, you know, didn't have a chance to experience anything like the, the, the road that causes the... Uh, the focus is to get uh, so uh, bouncy here in Michigan, uh, and I'll be I'll be curious to try it out here uh, when they when they get one in the local press fleet. But um, it's uh, you know it, it it was very comfortable to drive regardless of which mode it was in. Yeah, well, I I think that 
Civic in, in any trim sort of stakes out its own territory in whatever class it's is sort of competing in. You know, this is this is clearly the, the sort of hot hatch segment version of the Civic versus the economy car segment of the Civic, which is the you know other trim levels. Um, but it's still just it does that that Honda thing where it it sort of transcends the numbers as well. Yeah, and absolutely. It sounds like that's what what's going on here too, where uh, you know numbers wise, even even its cost is a little cheaper, so you don't necessarily expect as much out of it. And I think you probably it sounds like you're getting more out of the car than than um, you'd necessarily uh, you'd expect or that you'd think that price would warrant, given you know sort of where the competition is. Yeah, you know, um, it's it's both a great value and you know a great performance car. You know, even you know, even without having all wheel drive or limited slip differential or any of that, I think it just felt to me like it worked a lot better than um, than the other cars, especially compared to the Focus. I mean, obviously without without the the performance all wheel drive system that the Focus has, you're not going to do you know you're not going to have like the drift mode that the uh, the focus offered uh, but that's kind of a gimmick anyway though yeah you know so i mean if what you want to do is have a car that um you can drive quickly and have fun with on regular roads and then you know take it to track days and have a ball with it as well um you know it's a this is a great choice yeah, yeah and, you, and you can take it to the track and you know take it completely stock you know not do anything to it i mean the cars we were driving were the same ones we you know we drove on the road uh you know all we did was put on our helmets when we got on the track and and that was it you know everything else was you know straight out of the box and it, it worked great yeah uh, i mean it, it's a honda is not going to make a car that's uh sort of you know out there to to mess with drivers they're they're I don't know. I I have a lot of. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say that the last couple of generations of Civic, you know, were not that impressive. Yeah, I guess, but they've always had that sounded like they they really fixed that with with this tenth generation Civic. See, you know, it's it's a it's such a far superior um, platform to the the last couple of Civic generations in in every way. I mean, <clears throat> it's more rigid. Um, you know, and that you know what they did with adding the. Uh, the structural adhesives to the uh, to the Type R, you know, to add you know a little bit more rigidity to it without having to add any extra weight, you know, all all those things it makes a difference and and it works it just works really well. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that just overall, like the the Civic has always, especially the Civic, but you know, it's always had that sort of core bit of Honda ness. I mean, I had no complaints about the earlier versions other than you know, like they were loud and they had cheap materials, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that that has nothing to do with the R. Um, I I do agree though. Like they've been off their performance pace for for a while, and so it's nice to see them sort of coming back into this realm where uh, you know they can credibly uh, play with with some of the well respected, uh, you know, long established names in in the segment. So um, I guess my biggest question is. Like, if you had the choice, if you had to choose, would you pick the the, the Civic over the the Civic Type R over you know GTI or or Golf R? Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah, like because I find that you know the 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 the, the, uh, the Golf and and the GTI and you know the Golf R and the GTI. Um, don't look as aggressive as this thing. Yeah, that's true. From from a, from a visual perspective, you know, I think 
I would probably what I'd <laughs> what I'd really love to do is have all the Type R parts in a regular Civic hatchback body, you know, without without all the uh, the extra aero bits. I mean, I know that. Y- We'd actually lose, you know, some downforce. Um, Who goes that fast anyway? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, it wouldn't attract as much attention from the uh, the local constabulary. Right. Um, you know, so, yeah, you know, I, I think that would be my preference um, if I could get, you know, that uh, that powertrain, the suspension set up, the brakes and everything and just the regular body. But um, even even with the Type R bodywork, I'd still I think I'd still choose that over the VW. Yeah, I would love that too. Like sort of like a lowercase Type R, right? Like something yeah. that doesn't yeah. call as much attention to itself. Um, you, you know, I just I I like that. I, I don't know. Um, I like the fact that it's it's a little bit more visceral in some ways, right? It's like it's front wheel drive. It makes you work for it a little bit. For, you know, all wheel drive is everybody has that. It's kind of it's kind of like a cheap performance boost it's it's like it's it's uh you know the 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 human growth hormone for cars <laughs> yeah you know and uh, you know unlike the um the elantra gt you know and the type r you get some great steering feel you know they 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 really especially in sport and plus r modes um you know it real the steering really feels good you've got just the right amount of effort just the right amount of feedback and you know having driven it on the track and really pushed it you know you you can really feel that you know what's going on at the wheels and you know so you can you can feel when you when you get right to the limit you can feel that little bit of you know the the understeer you can feel when that's starting to happen and you know as you adjust you know between throttle and brake a little bit you can get it to turn around and and get the front end to bite down a little bit more uh as you get that weight transfer so it it works really well all right so i mean a ringing endorsement for the absolutely the the civic type r um all right let's talk about something else again uh okay so this is another one of those pr sort of master strokes i saw this story uh sort of just blip out um, from all of the outlets all at once. I was like, oh, so an embargo lifted or, a, you know, yeah. a, a, a piece of PR went out. Uh, and, and so Domino's and Ford have teamed up. Good morning at 12.01 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, you know, it just lit up across Twitter. Same story. Everybody had it. And I, I mean, that's the beauty of the PR machine. Uh, but, but Domino's Pizza, who, uh, well, the first, so here's the first, sort of graph of the, the press release, which I thought was hilarious. Um, Domino's Pizza, the recognized world leader in pizza delivery, and Ford Motor Company are launching an industry-first collaboration to understand the role that self-driving vehicles can play in pizza delivery. So it feels to me like Domino's wrote the Ford press release. <laughs> but uh, Well, ha- having been on the, on the other side of uh, this... Uh this process um it it is generally a collaborative process yeah no i i get it and and you know when when there's a a joint press release like this that goes out it is a painful process going back and forth between the two sides you know making you know trying to get everybody's trying to get their language and their message in there and you know it's it's fun yeah no it makes you stabby Uh, absolutely it's just like you leave the office looking for somebody to choke to death um but you know, so these are two like Domino's is a is a Michigan institution, right? They started in Michigan, yeah. So yeah, right, right so, here in Ann Arbor. I mean, they're they're like 
you know, 10 minutes away from me here. Yeah. And so Domino's, they have the what is the, the little Chevy uh, Sonic chase thing. The spark. Uh, sparked right one of the small chef yeah. <laughs> um they're 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 actually uh the the uh the domino's dxp right uh, and, for and it's, uh, domino's uh or or dpx maybe it's dpx no no i think it's dxp um uh, okay well, yeah for for uh they they actually call their drivers their delivery drivers um and the uh, the uh, pizza experts Pizza experts. All right. So this is just basically I'm going to delivery drivers are pizza experts. I'm going to finish this podcast. I'm going to order pizza because we're talking about pizza and it's trigger food for me. So I'm just like <laughs> I'm at the point. Uh, but they so they did that with the, the Chevy vehicle. Basically, it's a vehicle with a built in warming oven. And now they're teaming up with Ford and, and Ford's doing it basically to just get some more data about uh, autonomous driving, um, and, and what better way to sort of do that well, than actually, with a logistical both, challenge? Both companies are trying to uh, get some data out of this, you know. So there, there, it actually is a collaboration. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I agree. Yeah, there's, there's stuff. There's stuff for both sides to learn from this, um, in, in terms of you know trying to understand the user experience, you know, for somebody that's if they're going to order or, you know, whether it's pizza or, or anything else, um, you know, how, how do you interact with an automated delivery vehicle? And, uh, so, you know, they're, you know, for Ford, you know, part of what they want to do is they want to expand the applications of automated vehicles beyond just robo taxis. You know, so they want to use them for other kinds, you know, for package delivery and food delivery and all kinds of other things. And, and at the, the event I was at in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago, you know, Jim Hackett, uh, the new Ford CEO, talked about this, you know, talked about, you know, other ways that they could use automated vehicles. Uh, interestingly, though, the car that they're using for this test will not be driven aut- autonomously. It'll, it's going to be driven manually. Yeah. So I thought that was the most interesting wrinkle that's sort of like buried in there. It's like, wait, they're talking about autonomous poli- pizza delivery and then they're not autonomously delivering pizza. <laughs> right. Like, uh yeah, so um, you know, for for purposes of this test, you know, they're they're doing it within an area of Ann Arbor. You know, uh, there's one car that they're using. You know, one one of Ford's prototype fusions uh, that they've set up for this. And you know, so there's one one particular uh, Domino's store in Ann Arbor. If you happen to call and order your pizza from that store, you may get your pizza delivered. You know, that they will ask you if you want to opt in to this test. Um, and if you do, then, you know, it'll get delivered by this car and because they haven't fully done all the the high definition maps of this area yet, um, for now they're, they're still having the driver manually drive the car. Um, and what, what they've done is they've, you know, the windows are heavily tinted. So when a customer comes out to get their pizza, you know, they won't see the driver or the, the researcher in the front passenger seat that's um, collecting, you know, that's taking notes and collecting all kinds of data. Uh, but what they're doing is they're still running all the sensors in the car because they want to see, you know, what it looks like, you know, when somebody walks up and how they interact with the car, you know, so they're recording all this stuff, you know, so they can go back and study it and figure out, okay, what sorts of things do we need to do in in terms of how we design our our production autonomous car to suit uh, these kinds of app these kinds of needs yeah well i think that that's going to be the first use case for this stuff once it actually you know they sort out the legality and, and adoption is going to be uh those the, the logistical users right uh 
fleets and you know companies that are delivering products and goods and and stuff because that's like a built-in customer base uh part of me hates the fact that it's probably going to cost drivers jobs um you know when once you get a fleet that can work reliably uh that's going to be so much cheaper (laughs) in some ways than like hiring and and you know uh sort of dealing with humans but then again, maybe not. I don't. I don't know. Uh, it seems that way at this point. It it, it probably will cost drivers jobs. Um, you know, based on the 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 data they shared about their the growth rate of um, food delivery uh, over the last you know half dozen years or so. One of the things that they they mentioned you know is that they actually expect you know, and particularly Domino's growth rate. You know, they expect that even if um, even if they eliminate drivers' jobs, um, they may actually be hiring more people just to build the pizzas and assemble the pizzas. Uh, I don't know. I mean, is, has their pizza gotten that much better? <laughs> I didn't say that. I said they're selling more. Right. Okay. All right. Fine. I mean, I guess so. Convenience does play a part. You have to be. You have to be careful with your with your language. Right. <laughs> I haven't written a press release in a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, so convenience will play a part, though. Like the fact that you could probably order it at, at you know, sort of later hours than other pizza shops has a lot to do with whether or not I'll actually order sometimes when I have that hankering for late night pizza. And, you know, it just it shows up. Right. Like that's that's cool. Why can't they do this with drones, though? Or is that just like drones are probably something that there's just further on off oh, in the offing? They're also experimenting with drones as well. Uh, you know, so they're they're looking at, at you know, I mean, Domino's has a whole division, you know, um, a research division that actually looks at all kinds of stuff like this. You know, um, they were they were actually the, the first ones. You know, I mean, they, they also have a previous history with Ford, which is pi- part of why they're doing this, because uh, a few years back, um, they integrated their uh, their their, uh, their 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 app, their smartphone app with uh, Ford Sync uh, with AppLink. So. Uh, if you have a Domino's account uh, using the, the smartphone app, one one of the things you can do is you can set up uh, your favorite. Yeah, I remember that. There. Yeah. And then so if you're in a Ford car with Sync and and uh, you can use the you can use Sync to trigger the Domino's app and say, OK, pick up my, you know, order my favorite pizza from Domino's or whatever the command is using a voice command. And they will automatically do your order and, and have it ready for you when you get there. Uh, oh, so you still, but like Domino, it's about delivery though. Like I'm not picking up the pizza. You're going to drive it to my house. Well, no, but I mean, like, you know, for example, if you're on your way home from work and you sure. pick up some pizza on the way home. That's true. And you're, you're in the car already. That, I mean, that was the point. That was the whole idea there is, you know, so you can pick up a pizza on the way home and you don't actually have to call and order it. You know, it, it does it for you. It does it automatically. It sends yeah. the order. Um well, and I guess as ridiculous as that feels, like that's that's sort of like that's the future, right? Like that's where we're going. Is you know, we're 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 getting increasingly lazy. <laughs> it's not lazy. It's it from from a from a user perspective, you're street you're removing friction. You're streamlining the experience. Exactly. Yes. That's that is the problem again. That's the, the more precise language. And that's like we're taking taking friction out of the the pizza buying experience, right. which is one of the things that Domino's actually attributes to part of their growth is um, 
you know, the, the fact that they're, they've been able to do some of these things that actually take out friction from the, the purchasing. Uh, Absolutely. That's like I said, process. I say this to, to my clients, which are nowhere near the scale of Domino's all the time. It's like, look, if you want people to give you their money, make it easy for them to give you your money or give you right. their money. Uh, so yes, anything you can do to facilitate that, whether it's like robocars that drop the pizza off, like any of that, an app with what, you know, one touch ordering Domino's has actually been quite a leader with a lot of different technologies, not, you know, the, the vehicular side of it, uh, uh, apart, but even just their app and the development for that. Um, and the fact that they, they actually did embrace customer feedback and say, Hey, you know what? Like our pizza wasn't what it could have been. So we've made it better try it again. You know, all of those things have been a real model in, in how to evolve an established institution and, and be nimble and adopt and, and play with all of this newer technology. So as much as I, I think it's kind of silly to have pizza, you know, Robocar delivered, I, you know, it's not going to be that silly when you get all your stuff from Amazon the same way. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and, and Domino's also like if they want to survive, they need to sell more pizza. And also, if they want to survive, they can then sell off their technology or license their technology. So it's a it's a pretty good win for them if they can figure it out. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, everybody needs to, you know, no matter what business you're in, you're going to have to figure out how things are going to evolve for your business going forward. Um and, you know, with especially if it involves any kind of um, delivery um, or you know, anything with a customer interaction, you know, it's going to change over time. So, you know, might as well start looking at it now and figuring out what you have to do, what you know, how, how are you going to have to adapt your business models to suit that going forward? Yeah. So when I have my own self-driving car, I want to be able to do what parents in the 80s were able to do. You write the kid a note, you hand him a $10 bill, you send him to the corner store to pick up your cigarettes. Not that I smoke. I just want to see if it'll work. Like, can I send my four... Beer. Right. Can I, can I send my car to go get me my, my sort of, you know, uh, regulated materials that are never, ever supposed to be in the hands of a minor? <laughs> kind of like, that's, that's what people used to do. You know? Actually, you probably won't even own that car. Right. It will probably just go on your app and, and you know or on your phone and say, you know, I need a pack of cigarettes and a six pack of beer and, and it will just magically appear from somewhere right. and, you know, debit your, your, uh, your bank account along the way. The feature is going to be awesome. And apparently I'm going to pick up a smoking a lot habit. of bad habits. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm interested. I, I, I wish that I could test this out. Are you close enough to Ann Arbor that you can actually try this out? Um, I'm not within the delivery zone of that particular, um, Domino store. Um, I mean, I, well, I could go, you know, sit in a parking lot there somewhere and, 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 uh, order I've, from that store and I mean, what happens. I, I, it's worth a try, right? But, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, what, one of, one of the, uh, the other, um, journalists that was at the, um, the briefing on Friday, uh, Deanne Durbin, uh, from Associated Press, she actually does live near that store and she was planning to, uh, to order from there and, uh, write about her experience. So once, once she's had a chance to try this out, um, maybe we'll get her on the show and, and have her talk about this. Yeah. I mean, and I'm assuming the conversation would be like, so how did it go? Well, I got my pizza. Excellent. <laughs> well, you know, this, this is one, of, this is one of the things that, that they're going to be looking at is, you know, the fact that, you know, instead of, you know, the delivery person driving up to, you know, pulling into your driveway 
walking up, you know, taking the pizza out, walking up to your door and handing it to you, you're now going to have to actually walk out to the car and punch in a pin code on the side of the car to get your pizza out. And so what happens if it's raining out or snowing out? You know, um, how, how are people going to react to that? You know, are, is that going to be an acceptable solution to customers? Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I can. These are the kinds of things they want to learn. So, you know, as, as they do this, this test program, you know, um, they say, you know, when, uh, when, when a customer is selected to participate, you know, they'll be asked to opt in, you know, when they, when they place their order. And if they say yes, then part of it is, you know, afterwards they'll be, they'll get a call back, you know, and ask to answer some questions for a survey, you know, to see, you know, to get their feedback on the whole process. And, you know, at the same time, you know, they're using the, the cameras and the LIDAR sensors um, that are on the car to record everything that's happening, you know, to, and, and look, you know, looking at other things, you know, figuring out, you know, you know, when they punch in their pin code, you know, what happens if they um, if they punch it in wrong? You know, they'll be looking to see how people respond to that, um, you know, or if they have any problems getting their pizza out of there. You know, will people, you know, forget, you know, part of their order in there? Will they forget their sides in, in there, you know, things like that? Or will they maybe put their phone down, you know, in the in the warming box uh, in the car and leave that behind? You know, so they're looking at, you know, what, what sorts of things do, do we have to put in to make sure that these these situations um, are addressed before the car pulls away. Yeah, I mean those are all solvable issues, um, and I, they're going to find people are going to do a lot of unexpected things. I think because um, that's what always happens is the the human factor. So yeah, um, I mean one of the things that I can see is like if I don't have to interact with another person, if the pizza car shows up and it's snowing, fine, I'll go out in the snow. I don't have to talk to anybody. I can get my pizza. It's like we're good. Um, and you're just antisocial. That's exactly right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we're doing a podcast. Um, so yeah, well, I I hope that they try to roll this out a little bit more. I would love to try this. Um, the closest I can come now is sort of um, sending somebody else a pizza with the Papa John's. Even just the website. So, well, what what you need to do is uh, get a hold of the guys at Newtonomy. I mean, they're based in Boston. They are to team up with with uh, your your nearest pizza store. They should Newtonomy should team up with Santarpios. There you go. Uh, because Santarpios is like the North End uh, pizza joint. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe Santarpios is over in. I think they're actually in East Boston. I forget. I'm going to just like display the fact that I live in the suburbs right I'll, now. But. I'll get I'll get you connected with the guys at Newtonomy and and you can call them and and have them hook them up with your uh, with your pizza joint. And, we and should go absolutely it. do that. Um, all right, let's answer. Some, possibly go wrong. Yeah, nothing, nothing. Um, yeah. And at the end of the day, I can just drive as a pizza delivery guy and make some extra cash because um, people you know. tip them. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't get tips normally. Uh, but let's answer some questions because we had, well, we kind of had one question that we actually can sort of tee up uh, next week. Okay. Um, so we had a, a question from the Facebook, uh, just just basically quickly asking about um, buying a vehicle at auction and sort of uh, what what our experience or advice uh, might, might be about that. Um, and so the, the question is, you know, uh, been shopping for a used car. Uh, always read the Carfax if available, and have noticed many low mileage cars, including CPO, have gone through one or more auctions after the first owner. And so this just uh, this is Paul. His question is, uh, you know, 
he wants to avoid the the cars that have been through multiple owners and look for something leased, serviced, and sold only by a single dealer. So, uh, sort of, do we have any advice or, or guidance on that? And and uh, we we kind of don't because we're journalists, and so we don't buy cars that often because we're poor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but even before I was a journalist, I didn't buy cars that often. You know, I, I, I tend to keep cars. I tend to buy cars new, but then keep them for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, you know, because you know, avoiding car payments and all that sort of thing. Um, so, uh, um, since neither of us are experts uh, in the uh, the auto auction area and and how that process works, um, I'm actually going to reach out to uh, some contacts I have at uh, Cox Automotive because uh, they own Mannheim Auctions and uh, they're you know they're, they've got a bunch of different business units that are involved in all parts of the automotive retail spectrum, and uh, we'll try and get you an answer for that one uh, for next week uh, and. Uh, uh, maybe we can just get him on as a guest you know, and, and uh, talk about uh, some other things in the automotive retail space as well. I uh, see. And so, yes, check back with us next week. Remind us if we forget, because we, yeah. we probably won't because you're on it and I'm not. Um, the other thing that I found was this treasure trove of uh, Autoblog podcast. Um, we had a, we had set up a Google voice number for it. Or you had, uh, Sam. And uh all of a sudden, I started getting these robocalls to it, so I keep getting emails every day of a four-second empty voicemail. And so I went to look, and it turns out that people had been leaving us messages that we never answered. So <laughs> I think that it might be worthwhile to just go dig into that and uh, answer some questions uh, maybe next week. Sounds like a plan. So with that, I think we, we have clobbered uh, episode 37 of <laughs> Wheel Bearings, um, and we will catch everybody next week with questions from five years ago. All right. Have a good Labor Day <laughs> weekend, everybody. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.